Hello and welcome to the Veg Grower Podcast. My name is Richard and I am on a mission to grow my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and my garden. Whether you're a seasoned grower or a newbie to the world of gardening, this is the podcast for you. Join me as I share my experiences, tips and challenges on this exciting journey towards self-sufficiency and sustainable living. Now, coming up today, I have got an update from, from the allotment in which I've helped a fellow plot holder. I'm also chatting to Maggie about her book, The Container Victory Garden, as well as uh, an update from our veg plot at home, including the veggie pod garden. So a lot to get through. Let's get into it. It is Saturday the 4th of March 2023 today and I am down on my allotment. Now, I came down here today, this afternoon actually, and what happened? As I came into our allotment, I drove my, I brought my camper van down tonight. I drove my van right up to my plot and that involves going along the main road in the middle of the allotment site, down towards the back, and then come across and back down the side road to my allotment. Well, when I came down the main drag and then turned to go down the back, I noticed there was a car parked up in the middle of the road and blocking the way through. So I stopped and the woman whose car it was got out the car. She came out to me. She had a lovely French accent. She came up and said, I'm sorry, I cannot move my car. My battery's gone flat. So... I said, not a problem. I, I jumped out my camper van. I grabbed a power pack that I keep in there just for that sort of thing. It's not a particularly big thing. It fits in a door pocket, so it doesn't take up much room. And within about three minutes, I boosted her car and got it running for her and on our way. She offered me £20 for that, which I refused. But I think she said she had been stuck here since last night. I don't know if that meant she had gone home and left a car here or what, but at least I felt I had done my good deed. Anyway, that's just one of these adventures that happens down on our allotment. With that car up and running, I was able to get my camper van down to my allotment site. And the first thing I did is, the main reason I brought the camper van instead of the work van down, I'm going to the tip tomorrow. So all those bags of rubbish that I've collected over the winter months have now been put in the back of my camper van, ready to go to the tip tomorrow. That has tidied up Scrappy Corner a little, but also cleared away a lot of uh, rubbish. After that, I then collected the broken bits of wood, which I'm also taking home to get rid of. And this has tidied up a lot of the allotment site and just getting rid of all these little bits of rubbish. Now, down the side where I had Jerusalem artichokes, I've laid down some black weed membrane just to cover over that area. Not sure what we're going to be doing with that area this year just yet, but I just wanted a bit black weed membrane to smother out any weeds and reduce the amount of work that I have to do. I've then placed over the cherry tree seedlings just to hold the black membrane down and put that area into a bit of use. It's not perfect but it will certainly do for the time being. 
After that, I then tended to the edges of the allotment, just clearing out the weeds. This is mainly on the bottom half, to be honest with you. Cleared out a load of weeds, got the hoe out, cleared them through, and everything now is just looking so much tidier and at least ready for the growing season. There's a couple of areas I'm still not happy with, particularly Scruffy Corner, but we're going to concentrate on that next week because I want the compost out of the compost bins to use as a mulch. I've also noticed that my rhubarb has really jumped into life in this last week. It is looking like it won't be long until we can start harvesting some of those delicious rhubarb. And this doesn't include the forced rhubarb that we have at home. I cannot wait. Now, I was contacted about a new book that is coming out called The Container Victory Garden, written by Maggie. I've read a pre-copy and I thought this was going to be a great chance to have a chat with Maggie, especially as a container victory garden is something that really interests me. So let's go find out what this is all about. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me today. You have a new book out called The Victory Container Garden. Um, I've got to say, I've read the book. and But for those who may not have heard of you, what's your background? Where do you originate from? Well, um, I live in the state of Oregon, which is on the west coast of the U.S. It's directly north of Canada. <laughs> um, directly north of Oregon is the state of Washington, Directly north of that is Canada, so we're in one, we're in one long line along the Pacific Ocean. Um, I've lived here for, it's kind of hard to remember, something like 40 years, but I was born and raised in the south part of the United States, where um, diff, a different kind of accent, a different kind of food culture, a different kind of everything my parents were both both grew up on farms in South Carolina, and so their whole approach to gardening is what they learned from their own parents, my grandparents, which is the whole purpose of a garden is to grow food, to grow healthy food for, for your own family and maybe have a little extra to share with people in need. So I... Um, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' farm when I was a child in the in this break, the summer break, and I just kind of paddled around behind them, watching what they were doing. And you know, you know how kids learn; they just absorb whatever's around them. So I absorbed this idea that the whole point of gardening is is to grow good things to eat. Flowers are nice, trees are nice, shrubs are nice. We need all those things. What what we we absolutely have to have is a way to have access to healthy, fresh, organic. In fact, they didn't even know the word organic because everything was organic. That's just how the world was. Um, that that's what. So I have this firmly planted in my mind that garden equals food, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Fantastic. You know, I really like that that phrase, garden equals food. I think this day and age, more and more of us should be applying to that. Sure, gardens full of flowers looks absolutely beautiful, don't get me wrong, but I like the edibles. I think the edibles look beautiful as well. You have written this book about container gardening, and I particularly liked the title, The, the Victory Container Garden. What was your inspiration behind this book? Well, I started thinking about this book in early 2020 when you know what was happening. We were all terrified of this virus that we didn't understand. 
We didn't understand what it, even, and the, the medical people were working 24 hours a day to try to find a solution, but it was still a mystery and we were all terrified, including terrified of going out outside into the world, including no grocery shopping. So even people who hadn't ever had any experience with vegetable garden thought that the solution was to try growing a few vegetables themselves. It seemed like everybody in the world had the same idea at the same time. And that's why we had this amazing um, development that everybody who sells seeds completely sold out. Yeah, I'm sure you remember that. It was just amazing. We'd never seen anything like it. But a lot of the people who were doing this were first-time gardeners, number one, and they lived in places that didn't have a regular garden space. I'm talking about good apartments primarily, you know. Um, so they, they just kind of scrabbled around to find a little piece of ground wherever they could. And while I was watching all this happen, because I write garden books, you know, I was kind of paying attention. Um, I noticed that I, it, it occurred to me, it's very much like what happened in World War II, when families were encouraged to plant a vegetable garden to feed their own family and also to reduce the, to, to reduce the stress on the, um, the, the big farms that were producing food for, for the regular supply chain. Some of that, if there was less demand for their products, then some of those products could be diverted to the military, to the war effort. So it, it, was, it was promoted by the government as a way to help the war effort. That was the phrase. And here again, a lot of people wanted to do that. They could certainly understand the patriotic value and also just the simple economic value for their own family. They wanted to do it, but they didn't have a, a full-fledged garden already available to them. So they just looked around for any little bit of ground that they could turn into a vegetable garden. So I thought, dang, we are seeing that whole victory garden thing, which was, you know, 60, 70 years ago, right now. And so that's why I um, spent a lot of, I, I love looking back at history, not, not so much the big generals in the war and the presidents and the premiers and all that stuff, but how regular people live their life. And I found so many interesting ideas about what it's like to live when your country's at war, but you're at home and you're trying to do the best you can to keep every keep everything going. And and I, I the more I looked at those stories, the more I realized, yeah, that's what we're living in right now in 2020 and 2021. So um, I decided it would be a wonderful addition to the book if I could find people who remembered those World War II gardens and interview them and get some of their thoughts about it all. And I did. I found I eventually found more than 50, and for various reasons, they didn't all work for the book. But the book has 20 stories of people in, in the U.S., in all different places around the country, who remember, actually remember being a child helping out in the family garden during World War II, or they've heard stories from their parents. And, and so those stories are spread throughout the book. If the story was connected to something specific like tomatoes, a couple of people told me really funny things that happened with tomatoes 
So naturally, I, I positioned those within the section about growing tomatoes. But some of them, some of them are funny, and you really laugh out loud funny. A couple of them are just heartbreakingly sad and tragic, but they're all, they all have this underlying sense of we're doing something that's patriotic. A lot of people said, I heard that word a lot, patriotism. I heard the word sacrifice a lot. And when it was always followed up with, but we didn't mind the sacrifices because we knew our men overseas fighting were going through so much more. And this was something we could do to help them. A lot of people talked about how being in the garden gave them a sense of peacefulness. It took their mind off their worries. And of course it produces something tangible and valuable and useful, but it gave them a feeling that while they were watching the plants grow and turn into actual food, actual nourishment, it, it was a way for them to hold on to the, to the hopefulness that their loved ones was gonna come home safe. And I heard that over and over and over again. So many powerful, eloquent statements. I mean, it almost makes you cry to think about what they were going through and how they all found peace in the garden. Absolutely fascinating. I mean, here in the UK, we often think back to World War II and we think of rationing. And I don't think we realized that this was going on in other parts of the world as well. We're very blindsided. So to hear these stories from across the pond, as we call it, I found really eye-opening, I've got to say, because I never really thought about it before. I've heard of the stories of all my grandparents in the UK, but I just thought America was away from that. So it was really fascinating hearing this. Was there any particular story that you had that stuck out from these people you were talking to? Yeah, it's kind of sad. <laughs> I, I keep thinking about this. Um, a, a number, as I said, a whole a whole generation of people were, had now moved to the to, to the cities, and they didn't have the farm space, the garden space that they grew up with. And so, some, w one way that they dealt with it is a lot of um, local businesses, local governments would kind of make a piece of property available, uh, vacant lots, or sometimes city the city planners would cut off a section of a city park and make that a garden space for people. In this particular case, um, the garden space was, it, it was um, a man who had a garden, but he had more than he needed. And this is another wonderful thing is people helped each other out. He had more than he needed, so he, he let it be known among the neighbors that half of his backyard was available. And this, this the woman who told me this story was a child. So, they, so it wasn't right by their house. They had to walk a couple of blocks to get to it. And often this, this woman who, as a child, as a very young child, would go along with either the mom or the dad when they had to go to the garden to do some work. She was, she was there one day with her father and he was digging up potatoes and she was off chasing butterflies or something. And she looked over at him and he had this awful expression on his face, but he didn't say anything. And he went to the next place where he knew he had planted potatoes and dug those up and still the same expression. And she knew that something bad was happening. 
It turned out there was some kind of virus that went through the whole neighborhood and just wiped out all the potatoes. She, was, of course, was a very young child, so she didn't really fully recognize this until much later. That was a big problem for the family because they were planning on those potatoes to be a major part of their diet through the winter. That's all gone. What are they going to do? And her dad just kept looking more and more and more agitated, and she got more and more scared. <laughs> well, eventually they made it because, once again, family helped, friends helped, neighbors helped. But it made me realize, through the eyes of a child, what it's like to live when your whole country is at war. And one of the things that might mean is your family doesn't have the food supply that they've come to count on. Yeah, we've, what's happening? Many of the other stories are, are a little bit more lighthearted than that. <laughs> but I keep thinking about that because here we are looking, looking at a t desperate situation through the eyes of a child. Mm. And it's, it's a very pretty powerful story. Yeah, and, and that story has just made me think about those in Ukraine at the moment and what they're going through. Exactly, yes. You know, so there's still a very modern story and the same story yes. going on there. Yes, exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, let, let's have a bit of a more positive story that you came across okay. that you remember, just to lighten the mood slightly because that's got me down. <laughs> a lot more fun. Um, yeah. Well, the um, what, what, I ref what I referred to before actually came up a lot is um, people saying, I love being in the garden. It gave me something something to do. I could feel like I was actually doing something instead of just sitting around worrying. Um, one woman told me about her uncle who was an engineer and decided he would try to um, use the um, the sludge from a wastewater plant where he worked to grow tomatoes, and he didn't know diddly squat about gardening. And he, t but somebody had told him to pull off the little growth that's in the in that little V-shaped place where the branches start off from the main stem. Yeah. So he did that, and he took them all off, including the ones with flowers. So <laughs> he had giant. <laughs> Green plants and no tomatoes. <laughs> oh, that's not an unusual story, though. I've heard I that know. many, many times. <laughs> Which is why I think we garden writers have kind of let people down. Sometimes we forget that the, the real basic beginning stuff needs to be explained. Like, don't take off the flowers or you won't have any fruit afterwards, you know. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Now, um, obviously, this book is uh, designed to encourage people to think about, oh, I guess in, designed to encourage people to think about growing crops in pots when they have no garden, or even if they have a garden. What was, in your opinion, one of the best things that you found that would grow in pots? Well, the very best, what I often recommend to people if they've never done that, if they've never done pot growing, container growing, and don't know how to get started and just sort of feel a little bit intimidated by the whole process, is if you don't do anything else, put together a garden of cooking herbs. Um, most, of, most of our 
most familiar kitchen herbs will tolerate, um, if you're a little bit lazy about watering, they will tolerate the dry soil better than anything else. They are perennial, and then we need to explain what perennial means. Um, and and they they don't take up a whole lot of space, and and they they meet my my golden rule about all this is, if you if the plant, if the part we use from the plant um, doesn't take has has a good ratio of the plant itself to the part we use, then that's a good thing for container gardeners who, who by definition have very limited space. Well, herbs are perfect in that regard because we eat the whole plant. And it's very easy to think of stepping outside in the evening and taking a snip of this and a snip of that and adding it to, to your dinner. So especially if pe people who enjoy cooking, it's a wonderful way to get started with cont container growing. And even if you don't, it's a good way to get started because you're, I can almost guarantee you're going to be successful. Mm. And I've always said herbs you can use in several meals, not just yes. the one, like a potato. Right, um, so, right. So, again, I, I'm agreeing with you because that's the first thing I recommend to use herbs. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> the containers themselves, obviously, some people may have the plastic containers or the terracotta contain, containers. I have found myself lately looking at a wide range of items that we can use for containers. And again, I'm going back to that World War II mentality where if anything could be used, we would use it. Exactly. Um, I've seen paint tins used, uh, large tins for uh, Passata used. Have you found anything that couldn't be used for container gardening? Anything that you can't drill a drainage hole into. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's an absolute. And, and what I... I, I do a lot of talk, um, speaking about this, and I always say to people, no matter what you do, it's got to have a drainage hole in it, and if it doesn't, don't come whining to me when your things die. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're just beautiful, beautiful um, high-class pottery things that have no drainage hole in And unless you have access to this sort of special drill bit you can't drill holes into that stuff it'll just shatter so you spent 40 or 50 bucks on something that's going to be useless so that's my that's my just about the only thing i you also wouldn't want to use anything that's recycled if you don't know for sure what was in it because um if you we're talking about stuff you're going to put in your mouth you're going to be careful so an old paint can might be fine, or it might not, you know, because um, we don't know exactly what was in there. And if you don't know exactly what was in there, I would skip that one. One thing you can do is, uh, because remember, we're talking about people with limited space, and one way to to deal with that is to build a kind of tower of different pots. And these things that you, you have They've come into your life, but you've concluded you don't really want to use them to plant anything in. Turn them upside down and use that as a base to put a good pot on top of so you can create a collection. It has a very small footprint, but it gives you a lot amount, a large amount of growing space. That's a great idea. There we go. 
Um, what I'm particularly liking at the moment, we're going through the cost of living crisis. So people are struggling financially. So I'm always trying to find ways of saving money. But it comes with the caveat, as you said, you don't want to poison yourself at the same time. So, yeah, paint cans, not a good use, but using them to prop things up. Yeah, Another, make a little tiny yeah. pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. I've also spoken a lot about growing microgreens in small spaces. Um, I, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on microgreens. Well, um, I, it, it isn't. Here's what I talk about in the book. Um, people, people, mini gardeners, especially if they're new to this game, are a little hesitant to thin things out. They, they broadcast season, they all, they all come up and they all look wonderful. And I have a hard time convincing people that you're foolish not to do thinning because pretty soon they're gonna crowd each other out and nothing will work well for you. So you can pull those extra ones out and consider them microgreens, you know. Um, I, I like to encourage people to think about not, not only what you're planning this week, but what you might be planning two weeks from now and sort of visualize how you can, can keep the process going by deliberately recognizing that something, some things that you plant will reach their natural, the end of their natural life cycle. They've done what, they, what you want them to do and they're ready to come out. If you have a baby plant behind that, you can feel okay about taking out the one that's kind of going downhill because you've got something ready to go right into that same spot. Remember, container gardeners have to use every single square inch carefully. So um, one way to do that would be to stage microgreens as your um, as, as your next step. You kind of I think of this it's almost like choreography, you know, who's who's in the front, who's in the back, who's moving forward, who's moving off stage. All that stuff is constantly moving. And microgreens would be an excellent filler because they don't take long to reach the size that we want them to be. I've built a balcony garden here at home, but it's not what I would call as a proper balcony garden. But from your research, what did you find people were growing on their balconies? I'm sorry, were or were not? Oh, oh were growing. Are growing. Well, um, I, I don't know that I have a clear-cut answer to that. Um, naturally, people like to grow the things that they like to eat or their yeah. families like to eat, um, which is all over the place. Um, the, the most successful ones um, sort of start with the cool season things like lettuces and salad greens and and the the kales and the, the mustard you know all the things that we eat the leaves of because yeah. then because the, then sunshine is not a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, every I don't know if this is true where you are, but everybody's favorite vegetable. If you just ask them, what do you think you'd mostly like to grow? Everybody will say tomatoes. That comes out number one on all the time not realizing that it's not exactly the easiest thing to do. Um, fortunately for container growers, we, we now have um, new cultivars of almost every kind of vegetable plant there is. So that 10 years ago, this would have been a lot harder than it is now. 
But even so, some things are easier than others. And I think people are quick to figure out that the, the things that don't require a, a definite amount of sunshine, which I remember we're talking about people in apartments and they may be in tall buildings with just a little tiny balcony with other tall buildings around. The, how much available sunlight they have is a critical factor to whether they can do what they want to do or whether they might have to make some adjustments. And um, so I have, I don't know, I can't tell you exactly what people are growing. I think the seed companies could tell you what kind of seeds they're buying, <laughs> which may or may not turn actually turn out into a, a viable garden. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's um, that's that's very interesting. I, I, again, I'm nodding my head here as we're talking. The, the whole thing with tomatoes is a lot of people I know will grow tomatoes, and that's the first thing they tend to seem to grow. When actually, go to more more towards the lettuce leaves, the salad leaves. You're going to get more right. for your money, and you're going to feed yourself for longer. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well. Once again, I've got to say, your book has been absolutely fascinating. I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. I know... Oh, thank I, you. Oh, you're most welcome, most welcome. Um, I, I don't think it's out in the UK yet, but is it out in the States at the moment? Yes. The The official publication date was a few days ago, February 21. Yeah, and I think ours in the UK is towards the end of April, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, so... Anybody in the States, please go out and buy this book right now. Anybody in the UK, pre-order it on Amazon. I've added links in their show notes. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> Maggie, thank you so much for your time and for joining us today. This has been absolutely fascinating. And once again, I really enjoyed your book. It's Sunday the 5th of March 2023 today, and I am in my garden at home. Now this week, all this talk about container gardening and victory garden has really spurred me on in my home plot. The big task that I've tackled and completed this week is completing the build of the veggie pod garden. Now last week I mentioned we had moved the small and the medium veggie pods down to here and changing the stand etc etc. That just meant I had to build the large veggie pod. Now the large veggie pod I managed to buy in the last few weeks. It was half price from a garden centre and that's the only real reason that I felt I was able to afford to buy it. But I got it built this week and very happy with it. It's certainly a very large piece of kit. This one is not on wheels, unlike the medium one. It is on the stands. So it's going to give me a raised growing area, a raised bed. Uh, it should do really, really well, just like the medium veggie pod and the small veggie pod. Now the small veggie pod is of course for herbs. The medium veggie pod is for our salad leaves and the large one is going to be a mix of whatever vegetables we can grow in it. So, so it could be carrots, parsnips, any number of things that we are going to be growing in this is what we are going to do. And it ties nicely in with what Maggie was talking about with the container victory garden. Now this large veggie pod did require a few bits and pieces that I've had to buy in bulk. It requires 440 litres of compost so I managed to buy 400 litres of compost for in bulk 
but it also needed 40 litres of perlite, into if which I've brought 100 litres of perlite. I've used 40 litres up, but we've still got 60 litres left. Now, the reason I brought 100 litres is from garden centres and shops, perlite is about £10 for 10 litres. I found this 100 litre pack online for £20 with £7.99 postage and packaging, so 30 quid. So... To me, yes, I've got an extra 60 litres, but I still saved me a tenner on what I needed. So I felt that was a worthwhile purchase. And the same with the compost. I brought 400 litres of compost, but I think I need a little bit more now. But again, I brought that in bulk because it was obvious that we were going to need it. And it just is, well, cheap to buy in bulk. Now, I know this is obviously a larger outset, or it seems like a larger outset when buying compost in bulk, but I think it is well worth doing when it makes a saving, especially if you know you are going to use a lot of compost. Now, of course, moving forward, the ideal thing would be to use our own compost that we have made ourselves, but I can never quite produce enough to fully see all our needs out. That's always going to be the goal and our ambition, and probably one of the things that we could do or could try and do more in order to save more money if i knew how to crack it it would have been done by now but we compost absolutely everything and we still have to buy in compost so yes veggie pod garden is now all set up i did have to move around some of the containers that i had up here all i've got in this garden now is our blueberry bush in a triangular metal galvanized tray and our olive tree which is in a large pot i may add a few more in the future i'm not sure yet but for now i'm pretty happy with the veggie pod garden so i moved over to our patio gun again inspired by maggie's book i've had a good look at that i've given it a good tidy up and sorted out a lot of the plants there we've got quite a few herbs they have all been potted up into a bit larger containers we've cleared away some of the old containers and got them ready for the new load for this growing season it's all set up and it is all looking great now of course let me know what is happening in your own vegetable garden and that's a wrap for today's episode we hope you've enjoyed hearing about our experiences on the allotment learning from the author maggie and getting the latest update from our veg garden now before we go i just want to share a cauliflower recipe with you that i have been loving lately what i've done is i've taken a head of cauliflower and i've just cut it into little pieces tossed that into a bit of olive oil bit of salt and pepper bit of spice chili spice paprika a little bit of cumin roasted in the oven at 220 degrees celsius or gas mark seven for about 20 25 minutes until golden and crispy and it turns out to be absolutely delicious so please do go and give that a try the recipe is of course in the show notes for this episode now also want to make you aware that later on this week i've got a video and blog post coming out about our alternative veg grower show it's a bit of fun that we are having we're going to have a bit of a, a competition and it's all for bragging rights there's no prizes but a bit of a competition about who can grow something like the ugliest vegetables or the battered wheelbarrow this is all 
just going to be a lot of fun. But keep your eye out on the uk to find out more about that this week. It should be, as I said, a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to seeing just how well this all turns out. Now, as always, I want to thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on your favourite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and reach more people who are interested in growing their own food. If you are really enjoying this podcast and want to support me directly, you can become a supporting member by visiting my website at thevegetablegroundpodcast.co.uk. I charge £5 a month for membership and supporting members get access to exclusive content, other perks including discount codes and a collection of seeds sent to your door each and every month that can be sown that very month but more importantly than all that is that your support helps me keep the podcast running which is the most important thing finally loved hearing from listeners if you've got any questions comments or suggestions for future episodes you can always you can always email me richard at the and you can also follow me on social media to see the latest photos and updates from the allotment and garden now once again thank you for listening i'll talk to you again next week so until then please take care